Hello and welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold. The confusion stops here. Great to have you with us on the eve of the Feast of the Annunciation. Tomorrow, the 25th of March, the great feast of the Annunciation of the Incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to be talking today about the virtues of the Holy Family. And last year, the uh, the bishops of competence, as they are called in the case of the um, revelations, uh, private revelations of Our Lady of America, they approved those revelations and the messages for the private devotion of the faithful. Now, some folks were upset that approval was not given for a public devotion because it means, you know, no churches will be named for Our Lady of America or no, won't be any special liturgies dedicated to Mary under that title and so on. But I think, and I've said this before, that approving those revelations um, specifically for private devotions is um, particularly appropriate and, and perhaps in a way even the bishops themselves uh, didn't realize because this devotion is primarily interior. First, uh, devotion to the indwelling presence of the Holy Trinity uh, who, who take up residence in our souls when we are in a state of grace a- and also imitation of the virtues of the Immaculate Virgin Mary who is the patroness of the United States of America and, and to imitate especially her purity, so necessary in a time when, when sexual license is literally destroying our culture. And then related to that is the imitation of the virtues of the Holy Family. Again, in, in a time when there is unprecedented confusion regarding marriage and the family. According to the visionary Sister Mary Ephraim, the Blessed Virgin said, and I quote, It is the wish of my son that fathers and mothers strive to imitate me and my chaste spouse, meaning Joseph, in our holy life at Nazareth. We practiced the simple virtues of family life, Jesus, our Son, being the center of all our love and activity. The Holy Trinity dwelt with us in a manner far surpassing anything that can ever be imagined. For ours was the earthly paradise where once again God walked among men. Uh, Catechism refers to the home as a domestic church. What What an example set in the holy home of Nazareth. She goes on, as in our little home, no sin was to be found. So it is the wish of the heart of my son and my immaculate heart that sin should, as far as possible, be unheard of in the homes of our children. The divine trinity will dwell in your midst only if you are faithful in practicing the virtues of our life at Nazareth. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Trinity, that's the state of grace. She's saying you're not going to stay in a state of grace. You are not going to remain in a state of grace unless you follow and imitate the virtues of the Holy Family. But what if you do? Then, she says, then you also, my children, you also will become another paradise. God will then walk among you and you will have peace. Now, Our Lady gave us these these tools, these gifts Uh, to survive the crisis of faith and morals in our culture today. She gave them to us in advance of of these events uh, taking place where, you know, we've seen this uh, since the 60s, this decline in our culture. And and she desires that we imitate the virtues of the Holy Family in their hidden life at Nazareth, 
in order to survive the attack on marriage and, and family and even human identity itself. And, and in our day, especially in the church, our days of, of activity and activism and, and active participation, even to the point that many, thai, uh, many Catholics take no time for contemplation, even during Holy Mass, it's well to remember that, that while both action and contemplation are necessary, contemplation is, as our Lord said, the better part. So we're going to take a, a moment or an hour and contemplate the scriptures and the tradition to discover the virtues of the Holy Family. And I think it's uh, considering that tomorrow is the Feast of the Annunciation and the fact that I like to begin at the beginning, that's where we will start with the Annunciation of the Birth of Christ from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel being come in said unto her, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Who, having heard, was troubled at his saying, and thought with herself what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found grace with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of David his father, and he shall reign in the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be done? Because I know not man. And the angel answering said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee, and therefore also the Holy which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, who also hath conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her that is called barren, because no word shall be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So much here and so much to unpack. We're not going to be able to do that uh, with every episode from Scripture that we're talking about today because we're trying to, to focus on the virtues of the Holy Family. But to say a word about the fact that Mary was troubled and wondered what manner of salutation this should be. She was troubled not only the, at the appearance of the angel, but at the manner of his greeting, his, his salutation. And it must have been startling, because never before or since has any human being been addressed this way by an angel. Uh, the great angel of God, Gabriel, one of the seven who stands before the, the throne of God, salutes this simple virgin uh, the way that a, a servant would, would salute his, his mistress or the way that a, a subject would salute a sovereign. And it was the, the, hom- the homage, the homage that troubled her. And she asked herself what, what it could mean. And then he said that she would conceive. And Mary asked the angel, how shall this be done because I know not man? No, of course, being a, a biblical euphemism for sexual intercourse. I know not man. I, I don't do that, she says. Now, those words reveal that Mary 
both was and intended to remain a virgin. And so she was naturally curious as to how she would conceive. And the angel tells her. And Mary reveals her three most prominent virtues, which are faith and chastity and humility. Because firstly, the angel announced to her something uh, stupendous. I mean, namely, the, the, that God was about to become man. He's announcing the incarnation. And, and she, without losing her virginity, was to be his mother. And she confidently believed what was told her, and hence the virtue of faith. <clears throat> Second, she had made a vow of virginity. Uh, tradition tells us in the full persuasion that the state of virginity, right, perpetual virginity, was an even higher state than that of maternity, which has its own great dignity. And that it was even more pleasing to God to sacrifice that uh, uh, for his glory. And this being true, God combined those two states in her. Right? She, she, he gives her the glory of both. And so she has a unique uh, virtue of chastity. And then lastly, her humility shows forth. You know, she was troubled by the angel's deferential greeting. But in spite of all that he said, she calls herself the handmaid of the Lord. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble, says St. James. And Mary showed this unparalleled humility, and therefore God raised her to the highest dignity. You know, you think about that, she doesn't, she asks, how shall this be? But she doesn't doubt, like, uh, like Zachary, who got himself uh, um, struck dumb, right, for his trouble. She believes the angel when he says, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. But she doesn't, she is curious, how, how shall this be? Because I know not man. And then she is given this, this wonderful answer, the, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, shall overshadow thee. Right, that she was, going to, she was going to be a mother and yet remain a virgin. And after he says all of this, you know, miraculous uh, message, which is, you got to figure it perhaps a tad bit difficult to believe for some, but not for Mary because of her great faith. And she says in her great humility, behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to your word. So she humbled herself even as she was exalted and then shows forth what our good Lord said in Matthew 23, 12, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be humbled, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So the faith, the chastity, and the humility of Mary, virtues that we need to imitate in order to remain in a state of grace through the troubled times in which we live. Now, there's going to be a lot more. We're going to talk about uh, the dream of St. Joseph, which is the very next thing to happen chronologically in the story. Of course, we have to jump from Luke's gospel over to Matthew, and then... We'll be talking about the flight into Egypt and, uh, and their hidden life at Nazareth. So much coming up, and uh, also more words from St. Joseph himself from the revelations of Our Lady of America and lots more when we return with No Nonsense Catholic right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us, and we'll return right after this.
Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. Matthew Arnold here. We're talking about uh, Our Lady of America's um, instruction that we should imitate the virtues of the Holy Family. And so we're talking about what those virtues are. And of course, we started with um, the Annunciation in Luke's Gospel. Uh, And St. Luke says that Mary was espoused to a man named Joseph. Now, espoused is an archaic word, and uh, therefore modern translations usually say engaged or betrothed. But espousal is really something more than that. You know, in most societies, marriage is both a civil, that is to say a legal, as well as a religious um, event. And for first century Jewish couples, they would be espoused, you know, up to a year before the actual marriage ceremony. And it makes sense, uh, you know, when you figure that, uh, you know, what a big event marriage is and the need to allow for, you know, the announcement and for the invitations to be sent and uh, to make all the necessary preparations and to allow for travel time for out-of-town guests and, and, you know, all this stuff uh, for a a celebration that might last a week or more. Uh, People are coming all that way after all. Uh, And... uh, and especially all of this centuries before modern communications or, or modes of transportation. Hence, the espousal, the contractual or legal aspect of the union, was accomplished before all of that extensive, and let's face it, expensive, some things don't change, <laughs> all those expensive preparations. In other words, you make that binding legal commitment before you go to all the trouble. And consequently, espousal could only be broken by death or divorce. And you'll note uh, in in our next reading that Joseph's already referred to as Mary's husband during their espousal. So when a couple's espoused, they're legally united, but they didn't come together as man and wife until the religious ceremony. Only after the wedding uh, do they live together as a couple. So uh, sometime after their espousal, but before their marriage ceremony, Joseph learned that Mary was with child. Hence, what is traditionally referred to as the anxiety of St. Joseph. Um, I love those Tissot, Jean-Jacques Tissot's uh, Bible illustrations. And one of them is actually called the anxiety of St. Joseph. And it depicts St. Joseph kind of leaning on his workbench in the carpenter shop with his head in his hands, staring into the middle distance as though wondering what on earth to do next. And I think it's, it's very common for biblical commentators and preachers and even, you know, mystics to ruminate on the suffering that poor St. Joseph must have endured at this rather unwelcome news. But what does the scripture actually say? Let's take a look. It's Matthew 1, 18 through 25, and we're reading from the traditional Dewey Reims version. Now, the generation of Christ was in this wise. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Whereupon Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing publicly to expose her, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in his sleep, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus." for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which the Lord spoke by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And Joseph, rising up from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took unto him his wife, 
and he knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, we'll start with he knew her not, right? That's, again, that's a euphemism for intercourse. All that means is that they didn't sleep together before Jesus was born. It didn't, does not suggest that they did sleep together after he was born, as some of our separated brethren rather impiously suggest, but rather simply that the baby was definitely not St. Joseph's and that Mary remained a virgin even after she brought forth her son. This is the virgin birth. So the scripture says, right at the beginning of this passage, that she was found to be with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, these words are often taken like an editorial comment from St. Matthew, uh, you know, for the sake of the reader. But it could also mean that St. Joseph had already learned the true nature of Mary's pregnancy. Not that just that she was with child, but that she was with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, this is no-nonsense Catholic, so which reading of this, which interpretation makes the most sense? Well, we'll take a closer look at the text and then at the teaching of those who are far holier and far more learned than we. First, St. Joseph is described in the text as a just man, meaning that he scrupulously kept the Mosaic law. But under the Old Testament laws, say in Deuteronomy uh, 22 or Leviticus 20, an adulterous woman should be stoned to death. And now we know that under the Roman occupation, uh, the Jews were forbidden to exercise capital punishment. But a just man would certainly demand an adulterous wife pay a heavy penalty. But the scripture says he did not want to expose her to shame and so decided to divorce her quietly, to put her away quietly. So what's the answer? Well, our tradition offers three uh, main interpretations to explain why Joseph resolved on this course of action. And the first is what we've kind of been discussing, the, the suspicion theory, the idea that, that uh, you know, when Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant, he suspected her of adultery, which is you know, pretty reasonable uh, considering the circumstances, and then decided to divorce her, but not for... Uh, Adultery, a la Deuteronomy 22, which you know, carries the, the um, penalty of stoning, but under the conditions of indecency found in Deuteronomy 24. So, and, but that is, of course, until the angel informs him in a dream that Mary is with child of the Holy Ghost, and, and then he changes his mind. So Joseph is a just man because he shuns immorality, and he directs his actions by the law of God. And this was the opinion of no less than St. John Chrysostom, and St. Augustine. But it's not the only way to read the text. There's also what's called the perplexity theory. And this position holds that uh, Joseph found that situation of Mary's pregnancy inexplicable. And the divorce seemed like his only option, but he wanted to do it quietly because he, he couldn't bring himself to believe that Mary was really guilty, that she'd really been unfaithful. So why does Scripture call him a just man? Well, because he lives by the law of God, but he judges Mary's situation with the utmost charity. And that was the opinion of uh, uh, none other than, than St. Jerome, who was the translator of the Latin Vulgate. And then we have the third theory, which is the reverence theory, uh, which I think accords with the plain sense of the text, that Joseph knew from the start that Mary was with child of the Holy Ghost. And faced with that, Joseph didn't consider himself worthy 
to be so intimately involved in the Lord's work. And so his decision to quietly separate from Mary was a matter of discretion, to keep secret the mystery within her. So when the angel appears to him in a dream, uh, he confirms what Joseph already knows. But then he urges him to set aside that pious fear. Don't be afraid of this vocation to be the, the foster father, the legal father of the Messiah. The angel's message, therefore, is not primarily the child is of the Holy Ghost, but uh, be not afraid. So Joseph is a just man because of his virtues of humility and reverence for the miraculous works of God and obedience, another three virtues that we are called to imitate, humility and reverence and obedience. Now, I lean towards this interpretation, which puts me in some good company. I mean, uh, contemporaries uh, such as Scott Hahn, uh, but also... It puts me in the company of St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Bernard of Clairvaux because this was the, uh, the translated interpretation that they shared. And so, you know, it also tells us this isn't some kind of modern invention or something that was brought in by the Protestant converts over EWTN or whatever. It's a matter of Catholic tradition. Uh, okay, so the next, uh, th- those are the virtues then, humility and reverence and obedience of St. Joseph. And then the next episode in the scripture involving the Holy Family, is the visitation, where Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and again shows her humility and this pattern of of charity. Why did she go to visit her cousin? You know, we know that she loved retirement and and communion with God and solitude. So she must have had a good reason to make her, you know, leave her home and and undertake this long journey, especially knowing that uh, she's now uh, with child. Um. So what are the reasons? Well, firstly, of course, the angel had referred to Elizabeth, told her that uh, she was now in in her uh, sixth month. And and she believed him. Obviously, she didn't need uh, a sign to prove it. But I think that she, because she got that message from the angel, she believed it was God's will that she should visit her cousin and, and also convince herself of the truth of the sign that's been given to her, that that Elizabeth was about to have a son. See, that's the thing. That's that the miracle, the miraculous pregnancy of Elizabeth, right, who's beyond childbearing and has been barren her entire life, and now suddenly she's uh, um, pregnant with John the Baptist, that's, that's a sign that the angel is giving her that what he is saying about her conception is true. All right, so that's first. Secondly, Mary knew well that her cousin, you know, had been barren and that had been uh, had grieved on that account of being childless. And she knew how happy she must be now that that obstacle had been removed and that grief. And so she has sympathy, her, her, her loving heart sympathized with the happiness of her husband. And she wanted to, to go and, and rejoice with her and join in praising God's mercy. Um, and, and that's, again, something for us to, to imitate. If we really love our neighbor, then we're going to sympathize with his uh, joys and his sorrows. Um, and then thirdly, Mary, as, uh, and this is, you know, the Holy Fathers and Doctors of the Church tell us, she wanted to minister to her cousin. She wanted to go and be of service to her, help her in her household affairs, right? She's six months pregnant. And so uh, Scripture says that she went to Elizabeth in haste, you know, because of, because of her sympathy, because of her desire to, to go and be a help. You know, it impelled her to, to, to go without delay. But that example also teaches us never to put off 
Never to be slow in the performance of a good work. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. And then again, we see the humility of Mary. It's going to be a common theme that although she's the mother of God, she hastens to visit her cousin to congratulate her, to minister to her. And when Elizabeth, you know, she receives her so reverently, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You know, the, 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 the babe leapt in my wound in, in your presence and praises her as the mother of God, the mother of my Lord, she says. Uh, Mary, how does she respond? She, again, she refers to herself as God's handmaid, gave all the glory to him, magnified, if you will, his power and his mercy and his truth. And then she stayed with her, the scripture says, for three months before returning to Nazareth. Now, next up, we're going to talk about the wedding uh, and uh, after the wedding, what, what transpired with the birth of Christ and the flight into Egypt and those important virtues that we need to embrace if we are going to remain in a state of grace and get through uh, these troubled times spiritually unscathed. Okay, so more when we come back. No Nonsense Catholic on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic, your internet home for Keep It Simple Catholicism. We're talking about the virtues of the Holy Family, which Our Lady, in her uh, revelation is Our Lady of America, recently approved for private devotion by the bishops of the Catholic Church, the bishops of competence, um, and the message that imitating the virtues of the Holy Family is the way for us to remain in a state of grace and really to overcome the challenges to marry, family, the understanding of the human person that are assailing us at this time. Let's see, uh, we talked about the visitation. Now, Matthew tells us that after their wedding, Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem to be enrolled in the Roman census. Joseph taking the lead of uh, head of the Holy Family, protecting Our Lady and the child yet in her womb uh, on this perilous journey, and then finding shelter for them in a stable when there was no room for them in the inn. You know the story too well for me to need to repeat it. But there's an example here of the virtues of the Holy Family, the trust and humility, again, of Mary, the the humility and the courage, the fortitude of St. Joseph, but also the humility of our Lord Jesus, the the immense humility of our Lord. Of course, as a divine person, Jesus possesses all of the virtues in their fullness and in their perfection. But at his birth, we especially see his love of humility and of obedience. So the eternal Son of God becomes man, hides his omnipotence, his majesty, under the form of a poor, helpless child. He took the form of a servant. He became like us in all things except sin. Why? Why did he become a man? Why did he suffer and die? Why did he want to redeem us in the first place? And it's because he loved us with an infinite and, and, and divine love. We know the scripture well. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, etc., and, and let us therefore love God because God first loved us. We came into the world in this, in this state of utmost poverty and humility, and poverty also is a virtue, and one that's, that's often difficult to embrace. But as we've spoken many times on this program, that poverty of spirit is not necessarily material poverty, but um, where you uh, rely upon God for everything. You know, 
I, I was just reading, um, and this is a statistic that has never changed during my lifetime, that the uh, majority of divorces happen over financial worries. People, uh, couples fighting over money, number one cause for divorce. And if they were to, you know, if these couples were to embrace uh, an evangelical poverty that is, uh, you know, appropriate for their state in life, that would take that argument off the board. But I digress. Uh, just one, you know, another uh, a way that we can understand this virtue and use it in our own life. But um, for the Son of God to take on a human nature, that would have been, uh, uh, you know, an infinite humiliation just all in itself. Even if he'd been born in a palace and been laid on a silken cushion, you know, in a golden cradle. But that he wished to humble himself even more, and, and therefore was born into the world in a, in a stable. The Lord of the universe, the son of David, uh, of whose kingdom there was to be no end, as the angel said, he could find no home in the city of David. And shut out from the, the dwellings of man, he takes refuge amongst the beasts, away from human society, and is laid in a manger. Later, our Lord himself will, will say famously in Luke chapter 9, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He had no comfortable little bed, no soft warm pillow, a piece of wood at his birth and a piece of wood at his death. That's all Jesus received from this world. But our Lord chose for himself this extreme poverty and humility to make, sac- uh, to make satisfaction even from his birth for the many sins of pride and, and our concupiscence of the eyes and our concupiscence of the flesh and to give us an example of those virtues of poverty, humility, but also self-denial and mortification. More really important virtues that are not particularly popular at this uh, day and time. You know, in order to free us from sin and hell, remember God saves us, Jesus came to save us. Save us from what? From sin and hell. God the Son became man in, in all things like us except sin. So that he might become, so that we, I should say, might become once more the children of God. He humbled himself so that we might be exalted. He became poor so that we might be rich in grace right here and now, and richer still someday in heaven. <clears throat> and then the next example, the scriptural example of the virtues of the Holy Family comes at the presentation. This is Luke, Luke chapter 2. Forty days after his birth, Jesus and uh, Mary, rather, and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple at Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as was prescribed by the law of Moses. And they brought with him the usual offering of the poor, which is a pair of turtle doves. And there was that time in Jerusalem a just and God-fearing man named Simeon, who was waiting anxiously for the coming of the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Christ of the Lord. And so, led by the Spirit, he came that day to the temple at Jerusalem, and seeing the child brought in by Mary and Joseph, he took them in his arms and blessed God, saying, Now thou dost dismiss thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word, in peace, because mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to the revelation of the Gentiles and a glory of thy people Israel." And he blessed Joseph and Mary, who wondered at these things. And to Mary he said, Behold, this child is set for the fall and for the resurrection of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be contradicted. And thy own soul assured shall pierce, that out of many hearts 
thoughts may be revealed. And of course, there was also in the temple a prophetess named Anna, a woman advanced in years who never left the temple, praying and fasting, serving God day and night. She also coming in, seeing the child, gave praise to the Lord and spoke of him to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. And when these things were accomplished in obedience to the law of God, Mary and Joseph with the divine babe returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth and dwelt there in peace. The feast of the presentation of the Lord is also the feast of the purification of Mary. Jewish law required all mothers who had given birth, you know, they were considered ritually unclean, so they had to unclean. They had to be purified in a ceremony 40 days after the birth of the child. Uh, and, of course, the firstborn had to be presented to the Lord as a sacrifice and a sacrifice offered to redeem him. This uh, goes back to when God saved all the firstborn of Israel at the Passover. And so they considered the firstborn to belong to God. And so you had to present the firstborn child at the temple and then buy him back, redeem him, literally. Um, Joseph and Mary were good Jewish parents. They observed the law of Moses. They kept the feast of Israel, the great reverence, and the virtue of piety. So very important. Now, of course, Mary's without sin. She doesn't need any purification. And, but she stayed away from the temple for 40 days, just as if she was an ordinary woman. She submitted to the law of purification, which, of course, in no way applied to her as the mother of God. But it was her humility that made her desire to appear in the eyes of the world as an ordinary woman, and more importantly, to give an example of obedience to the precepts of the law. The church still makes laws, doesn't it? Uh, you have to go to, to Mass on Sundays and Holy Days. You have to fast on, on uh, Wednesday, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. You need to abstain from meat on the Fridays of Lent. We still make those precepts, and she's saying we need to be obedient to the precepts of the law. And it was her love for, for us, for her fellow creatures, that would make her shrink from being a cause of, of offense or giving scandal by neglecting that legal purification. So piety, as well as humility and obedience, again. And, okay, so I, you know, I'm never going to make it through all of the things that I had prepared, so I'm going to jump down here uh, to the um, flight into Egypt. Right? The angel comes to, to St. Joseph because um, he, he, Herod wants to kill the child. He says, take the child and his mother. You know, she doesn't say take thy child because Joseph is his foster father. Take the child and his mother and, and go into the land of Egypt. And he's, Joseph's high place in the kingdom of God comes from this, from the fact that God chose him to be the guardian and protector of, of his son and uh, his son's blessed mother to entrust to, to him what was greatest and dearest to himself, that is to God, singling Joseph out and especially blessing him for this office. And that's why the church desires that all the faithful should honor St. Joseph and ask for his intercession and imitate his virtues. He is the patron of the universal church. It was a uh, Pope Pius IX made him patron of the universal church. Even as he was the protector of the child Jesus on earth, so now we acknowledge him as the protector of the mystical body of Jesus, the church. And we, we, we seek his intercession, especially for a good death and a holy death. You know, he's the patron saint of, of a, a holy death because he died so blessedly in the company 
of Jesus and Mary. And so we, we ask his intercession for the grace of a happy death. Now, for our purposes today, the virtue of St. Joseph correspond to that high calling. He gives us a splendid example of a firm and living faith and, and great confidence in God and resignation to his holy will and obedience and, and humility and chastity and industry and, and poverty and piety, all of these things in St. Joseph. And again, you know, you think of the flight of Egypt and you think about the humility and the obedience of St. Joseph. I mean, if it had been anybody else, I, I think it would have been well within his rights to say, well, if this child is God, why is he so helpless? Why should the son of the Almighty flee before some, some earthly king? You know, some mere human. Why, why didn't the angel tell us how long we have to stay in Egypt? How can we undertake such a long and, and, and dangerous journey without any preparation? But did he give ear to any of that? Did he, did he experience any of that? Any of those thoughts? Well, if he did, he certainly obeyed the divine commands promptly and, you know, started forth immediately filled with confidence in God and submission to his holy will. And that's what makes a saint. It's not, not um, you know, having no human qualms, but overcoming them by our confidence in God and our obedience to his holy will. We come back a little more about St. Joseph and what he had to say to Sister Mary Ephraim when he appeared uh, in the Revelations of Our Lady of America. That and more when we come back right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, No Nonsense Catholic. Stick with us, and we'll return momentarily. Okay, welcome back. Final round here on No Nonsense Catholic this week. Gosh, great to have you along with us. Looking very much forward to next week. We're going to talk about the Passion of Our Lord. Of course, it'll be Wednesday of Holy Week, and uh, I invite you to join us then. And of course, uh, listen to Virgin Most Powerful whenever you have the chance. And there is <clears throat> there's so much more I wanted to say. We're talking today about uh, the virtues of the Holy Family, because imitating their virtues is an important part of the message of Our Lady of America, given to Sister Mary Ephraim. And I, I especially wanted to talk uh, about um, the finding in the temple, the loss of the child Jesus and the finding in the temple. Because again, we can really see the, uh, the, the virtues of the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph and our good Lord Jesus. But, um, you know, time and tide wait for no man. I just wanted to say, um, in light of everything we just said about uh, St. Joseph, especially in the last segment, um, it's kind of ironic that the bishops of competence who approved the private devotion to the revelations of Our Lady of America cited an alleged theological error in the message regarding St. Joseph as the main reason that they did not approve public devotion. Our Lady of America. They didn't approve the public devotion because they said there was an, a theological error. And what was that? Well, I would like to uh, share the reaction of Father Regis Scanlon. And you're probably familiar with Father Scanlon. He's a, a, a great voice in the church today. Um, and he wrote in May of last year, right after the bishop's announcement, this was his, his kind of immediate reaction. And I, um, he has not <laughs> retracted it. And I, and I agree for one. He says, uh, the bishops gave only one reason for denying approval for public devotion. 
They said that the private revelations were in error, quote-unquote, by asserting that St. Joseph was a, quote-unquote, co-redeemer. That's it, that word, co-redeemer. They say, well, that's, that's you know, off the, the beam theologically. Father Scanlon says, I would like to offer some points that suggest another view is possible. First off, what do we mean by co-redeemer? I maintain that it's someone without whose action redemption would be impossible according to the revealed plan of God. For example, without Mary's fiat, uh, salvation could not have taken place. St. Joseph, he says, has a similar fiat, a sine qua non, a not without which the human race would be saved. And he goes on to say, actually, the concept of co-redemption involves more than Mary and Joseph. It involves every individual that is saved from eternal punishment. Just as Mary and St. Joseph can be seen as co-redemptrix and co-redeemer of the human race, each person is responsible through free will for cooperating with God to achieve their own personal salvation. And that means that every individual is truly a co-redeemer of himself or herself because God does not redeem anyone without that person's fiat, without that person's consent. doesn't force anybody to go to heaven. So perhaps... Further contemplation is in order, and perhaps we will see a uh, uh, public devotion to Our Lady of America at some point in the future. Um, And I think especially we should be contemplating this in this year of St. Joseph, because we've already seen, you know, what Our Lady of America said about imitating the virtues of the Holy Family. But in 1958, on the eve of his feast day, March the 19th, um, good St. Joseph himself appeared to Sister Mary Ephraim, and spoke of the unique privilege bestowed upon him as the foster father of Jesus. He said that all fatherhood is blessed in his fatherhood. And he asked that our family life be modeled on that of the Holy Family, with Jesus at the center of all its activity, same as Our Lady. And he wants us to teach our children well, which again is the the entire point of the only other approved Marian uh, apparition in the United States, which is Our Lady of Good Help, that it was to teach the children. So this is what St. Joseph said to Sister Mary Ephraim. Dear child, I was king in the little home of Nazareth, for I sheltered within it the Prince of Peace and the Queen of Heaven. To me they looked for protection and sustenance, and I did not fail them. I received from them the deepest love and reverence, for in me they saw him whose place I took over them. So the head of the family must be loved, obeyed, and respected, and in return be a true father and protector to those under his care. In honoring in a special way my fatherhood, you also honor Jesus and Mary. The divine trinity has placed in our keeping the peace of the world. The imitation of the Holy Family, my child, of the virtues we practice in our little home at Nazareth, is the way for all souls to that peace which comes from God alone and which none other can give. Our Lady of America and and St. Joseph appeared to Sister Mary Ephraim in the 50s, right, starting in 1954 and to uh, 1959. And, And that message was really prophetic, I mean, think about this. The, the final message, uh, Mary's final appearance to Sister Mary Ephraim was December 20th, 1959, which coincidentally, and I'll never stop mentioning this, was the day that I was born. 
And her message was all about imitating her purity, imitating the virtues of the Holy Family. And like I say, it was truly prophetic because who was thinking about the breakdown of marriage and the family in America in the 1950s? You know, the year I was born, the Red Skelton Show, Father Knows Best, Lassie, these are the, the, uh, the most popular TV programs, right? Thinking about our culture, what about, uh, uh, even Bishop Sheen had a TV show. He won an Emmy, for goodness sakes. In the year I was born, do you know what was the most popular movie? The number one movie the year I was born was Ben-Hur. And some of the other popular movies that year were, you know, Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest, Rio Bravo, with John Wayne and Dean Martin, one of my favorites, and another biblical biblical epic, Solomon and Sheba, right? I mean, the Catholic Church was really at its most robust, robust in those post-war years. I mean, Catholics in the United States of America had finally emerged as citizens that were being, you know, uh, considered not second class. But Our Lady knew what was on the horizon, she prophesied the attack on marriage and the family and the scandal in the priesthood and the loss of purity and the crisis of faith and morals in the second half of the 20th century, not in 1959, but in 1599. So she was well aware of, of what was in store. And you think about the Bible, Matthew 19, just 12 verses, a little over 250 words. And the Lord Jesus lays out the unchanging principles of marriage as a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman, the Christian prohibition against divorce. Uh, He raises marriage to the level of a sacrament, the sacrament of holy matrimony. And furthermore, he encourages all those who are called to embrace celibacy as a state that's even uh, spiritually superior. So from our Savior's own lips, we learn that marriage and perpetual virginity are two signs of the love of God. And we see that both of these are united in that first couple of the New Testament, Mary and Joseph. Joseph is the model of chastity, and tradition, of course, tells us that Mary was vowed to virginity. And as such, she, she served in the temple as a literal handmaid of the Lord as a, as a child. You know, Pope St. John Paul II um, talks about this in his uh, apostolic exhortation about St. Joseph. If you haven't read it, it's called Redemptoris Custos, Guardian of the Redeemer, this title of Joseph. But, you know, and, and that's the question. How does Mary combine a vow of perpetual virginity with, uh, you know, marriage? <clears throat> and St. John Paul tells us they were combined through the virginal conception of Jesus and uh, by the Holy Spirit, that those things happened within marriage and within virginity. And of course, you know, Catholic clergy, uh, priests, monks, and religious nuns are still vowed to celibacy today. But that, the virtue of that, the virtue of chastity is almost inexplicable to the world today. Not just priestly or religious celibacy, but even uh, the vocation of matrimony. People, I mean, we're so worldly-minded and sexual sin is so glamorized in our popular culture that it's, people have come to accept it as normal. You know, the chastity of Joseph and Mary is a challenge to our times when, when the sanctity of marriage, even, even the nature of marriage, even the, the, the nature of the human person is no longer respected. So Our Lady tells us to imitate the virtues of the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. 
It was because Mary and Joseph both said yes to God that Jesus grew up in a family and a family that taught him the true meaning of love. Holy Family didn't have it easy. Nazareth was, was a town of, it was a poor town. A lot of the people that lived in Nazareth didn't even have uh, their own homes. They lived in caves in the hillsides. St. Joseph, you know, in those days to have land and grow crops and, and, and animals, that, those were the you know, biblical standards of wealth. But Joseph's a carpenter. He's a laborer. He has to work hard. They did not have it easy, but it didn't stop them from trusting God trusting in his plan, being happy. So we imitate their virtues and we pray for the intercession of the Holy Family for our families. Would that all homes, all Catholic homes, at least be like the the Holy Family's happy home in Nazareth. And to that end, uh, you know, um, St. Joseph told Sister Mary Ephraim that it's the desire of Jesus and Mary that his pure heart, so so long hidden and, and so long unknown, should now be honored in a special way. So I'm so happy to see a year of St. Joseph, so happy to see the popularity of consecration to St. Joseph being promoted by uh, Father Calloway. You know, he asked, by the way, that we honor him the first Wednesday of every month by praying the joyful mysteries of the rosary in memory of his life with Jesus and Mary at, at Nazareth. And, and St. Joseph confirmed his crucial role in God's plan of salvation that he shared with his holy spouse, the, the mother of Jesus. And as a final note, uh, Sister Mary Ephraim said, making the rosary a family prayer is very pleasing to me. I ask that all families strive to do so. This is a, a drum that I've been banging now for 20-some years. It can change the life of your family to gather together, all of you together, every single day, and pray five decades of the rosary. The best way to honor Mary and Joseph's request to model our family life after their holy family is to pray together as a family. And that's no nonsense. Well, another one in the can, so to speak. So great to have you along with us uh, on this edition of uh, No Nonsense Catholic. Really love talking about the Holy Family. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Passion. And again, we're going to have to um, just concentrate on, on specific areas and specific, because it's, it's much, much too much to do in a, in a single hour. But I hope you'll be able to join us and, uh, and join that to the end of your Lenten sacrifice as we approach the Holy Triduum of Holy Saturday, Good Friday, uh, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, and the joy of Easter. May it be yours always, and until next time, may God richly bless you and your family.